0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Weekly Marketer Podcast. Every single week, we interview deep dive experts in one of the many fields of marketing to drop huge knowledge bombs from the best of the best and teach you how to take your marketing skills to the next level. This is episode 001, and we're interviewing Colin McIntosh, who ran an absolutely massive campaign on Indiegogo for his brand Sheets and Giggles, raised a ton of money. How much exactly, Colin?
1: Uh, well, on our first 30 days, it was 204000 for Sheets and Giggles, and then for... Uh, the first 45 days, which was the, the full crowdfunding, it was about 261,000. It actually ended up being the biggest Indiegogo crowdfund ever for bed sheets, which is pretty, pretty cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Colin is a crowdfunding master, absolutely promoted the heck out of this. And Sheets and Giggles itself is a very, very cool company. So Colin, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, tell everybody a little bit about your background and then, you know, how Sheets and Giggles, and then we'll move into kind of crowdfunding, which is what this episode's about.
1: Yeah, so um, I founded Sheets and Giggles in October 2017, didn't really begin um, work on it, I think in earnest until January 1st or 2nd of this year, just because I was, uh, you know, getting things up and running, getting the website up, trademarks, that sort of thing, getting a logo created, really basic stuff for the first couple months. And then January was when we really started sprinting towards our uh, Indiegogo in May, And so we spent about 10 weeks worth of preparation time gathering emails for interested parties leading up to the launch. And it's been really successful so far, fingers crossed, and knock on wood that it continues that way. And we're actually shipping out our first 5,000 pre-orders this month, which we're really excited about. And then prior to Sheets and Giggles, I was working on another company here in Denver, very different wearable technology company. The only similarity between the two is probably that they're both physical products, which I think a lot of people don't really work in the physical product space these days. They're pretty much all software. if You're starting up a company. And so uh, that was a really interesting experience about the last three years working on that. We raised about $6 million. We also did two other crowd funds during that time for new product launches. Um, we were also a Techstars company, if, if any viewers in the audience are familiar with Techstars and, and that accelerator. So it's it's been an interesting last three or four years in my career.
0: That's absolutely Crazy and a wild ride. You could, how how did you kind of get into all of this? Um, all of this meaning the startup scene. Yeah, how did you get into the startup scene? Like, how did you? So you you founded two companies, both of which have raised quite a bit of money, whether from VC or you know crowdfunding or some combination of both. Um, you know what? How'd you how'd your kind of career get started? How did you get into you know, building these physical products.
1: Yeah. So I was actually, uh, prior to SMG. I'm a first time founder. I wasn't the founding team of my last company, though, you know, technically not a co founder. So I just want to be ac- accurate there. It's one of the reasons I started SMG is because I really wanted a company pretty much all of my own. But really, I started to get into startups back in 2013. I had started my career at a hedge fund in Connecticut called Bridgewater Associates, which is actually. Uh, largest hedge fund in the world, 170 billion under management last time I checked. Um, and I, I, you know, that sucked. I got fired in like six months, and that was, <laughs> that was like the worst corporate experience you could possibly have to start your career. And so right away, I got kind of a distaste for larger companies that already had an existing system and bureaucracy in place. Not that Bridgewater is not a great place for a lot of people. It just wasn't wasn't really for me. And so I then went to a little 15 person recruiting company, ironically the company that hired me at Bridgewater. And that's when I got into tech recruiting, had a few startups that were clients, really great startups, uh, well-funded, and some smaller shops that were revenue funded. Um, And you know, it was recruiting for big companies, small companies. And that's really when I got into startups is when I was recruiting for some startup clients. I really loved the pitch that I could tell people of why they should join this company, why they should take a chance, why, why the equity and the options were worth so much for different clients of mine. And I actually drank the Kool-Aid so much that I joined one of my clients out in Seattle. I hired myself as a business development consultant for one of the open roles that I had. And so that was the original sort of first startup I ever worked on. And then from there, uh, I wrote the business plan for my last company, Revelar, which went through Techstars Boulder 2015. Uh, we did a Kickstarter in April 2015 ahead of that Techstars experience. And then that Techstars experience in general was really was really what got me to the point where I I'd say I'm part of the startup scene in Denver or or however you want to phrase it. And uh that's what really kicked off my my professional experience with my own companies.
0: That's incredible. That's a really great journey and kind of an interesting one too. I think that there's a, a lot of weird journey. Yeah. Super yeah. weird journey.
1: Well, but yeah. that, that's good
0: though, right? Like, I mean there is no like one size fits all, especially for, you know, doing your own thing. Anybody can you know, if you're, if you're willing to put in the work and you're willing to learn and you're willing to, you know, kind of and find good mentorship and things like that, you can kind of pursue your passion, if you will. So,
1: yeah, I think the mentorship piece is really understated. I think uh, if it weren't for Techstars and the Techstars Network, I wouldn't have gotten the I'd call it like an MBA type of education I got um, while at my last company. Uh, and one of the companies in particular that's really been a great mentor to me has been Spiro, which makes the... The BB-8 droid, if anybody knows the little smartphone-controlled Star Wars drones, the droids that those guys are incredible. They're based out in Boulder, and they've been fantastic mentors for me on everything from sales to marketing to retail to packaging, um, logistics. They've, they've just been fantastic. That's um, that's amazing. So kind of also t- also a TechStars company, hence the connection.
0: <laughs> Is TechStars paying you or <laughs>
1: no? No, I just I do, they're great, and I, I'd recommend anyone. I, I,
0: to I've had nothing. Me. Positive experiences um, interacting with people in the TechStars network. So yeah, they should really. they
1: should be they they paid they paid me enough in mentorship. So that's, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> absolutely, and free pizza, right? Um, free pizza. Yeah. yeah. So kind of focusing in a little bit on the crowdfunding, right? Let's just focus in on just this last campaign that you did for Sheets and Giggles, right? And Sheets and Giggles is as as you said, right? It's sheet company did some really cool branding stuff. They're made out of eucalyptus, very high quality product and all that. But the the Kickstarter, or I'm sorry, not the Kickstarter, the crowdfunding on Indiegogo actually like really kind of got your name out there and got like the capital that you need and everything else. And a lot of the people that are, you know, follow daily marketing have been asking about crowdfunding specifically. So talk to me about those 10 weeks, you know, talk to me about how to do a crowdfunding campaign the right way, you know, and what what are some things that people don't think about, and you know, kind of at a high level, I guess. What what what's the right way to do crowdfunding?
1: Yeah, I actually, it's interesting. You know, I know that you have got your own subreddit. Um, what is it, daily? Give yourself a daily thing. marketing. Daily yeah, marketing. that's what this is. Yeah, no, I think yeah. I think I think it's an awesome sub. I I subscribed maybe a month or so ago and hopefully i haven't been doing too bad no, no, seriously i i love it you gave you actually give me a lot of new ideas on that sub um but i i actually did an ama on the entrepreneur subreddit about three two or three months ago um when we were in the middle of our indiegogo and i got a ton of questions about crowdfunding as well so i know it's a, it's on a lot of people's minds i think the reason why a lot of people ask about it is because it's kind of the first time they'll ever be able to test their idea and they can do it without a lot of capital risk and without a lot of investment up front, um, which is great. It's It's a really awesome platform. And I think a lot of people have had positive experiences with Kickstarter and Indiegogo and a lot of people have had negative experiences with them, maybe when they've been burned by a brand or scammed or somebody hasn't delivered. I think a lot of people, a lot of founders, they never go, very few, I mean, there's bad actors, right? But I think few people go into a crowdfund with the idea that they're not going to deliver their product. I think that there's most people go in, you know, eyes wide open, really excited, getting ready to start a business with a ton of enthusiasm. And what happens is they raise $100,000 or $200,000 and they realize that for their idea to even come to life, they need $2 million in working capital to produce a single unit. They haven't thought about necessarily the, the design, the tooling costs, um, testing, manufacturing one, runs. They don't have an idea of what their cogs are going to be. So maybe they undercharge on their campaigns instead of charge the right price. In the case of something like I think the coolest cooler is a great example of this. They, maybe they don't charge enough money for shipping and they need to go back to their backers in the future and charge more money in order to actually deliver on time um, or deliver at all. So I think the, the number one thing that I'd say is for people to understand the economics of the business that they're trying to start. Don't take other people's money before you're, you're confident that you can deliver at least on those pre-orders. You know, in our case, I knew that if we could get $100,000 dollars in pre-orders, we'd be able to deliver our initial manufacturing runs. Um, and we had already done design testing and development of our product in, from, from January through April of this year before we ever took a single dollar on May. In fact, we ordered our product, our first 10,000 units to be manufactured in early April for an August delivery timeline. So a lot of people, they, number one advice I'd say is to like understand the economics of the business and then also understand the delivery timeline for the business. So many people are going to start a campaign in May and say they can deliver by August or September, and they will not realize the length of time it takes to design, test, and manufacture a product And I worry about people getting their brand started off on the wrong foot, delivering four or five, six months later than their promised initial timeline.
0: That's actually really interesting. I think a lot of people, you know, they look at crowdfunding for, you know, this kind of wonderful thing that it is. And in many cases, it is that. And like you said, they kind of go, nobody goes in with bad intent. But like you kind of have to think of these pitfalls and things like that. So. That, that That's really fantastic perspective to start off with, so as you were setting up this crowdfunding campaign right over this period of ten weeks like what 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 does that actually look like? kind of nuts and bolts right like what sort of things do you have to get ready for the crowdfunding campaign? How do you set up the page? you know what sort of optimizations and things like that do you have to look at what what's the advertising marketing component of that? you know could you dive into a little bit of that like what that timeline looks like and what, what sort of activities you have to be doing in order to have a successful crowdfunding campaign?
1: Yeah, I think that the best way to think about it is, uh, so first from a time perspective, you want to budget at least eight weeks to get ready. We, we budgeted 10. First and foremost, we built out a brand identity map. So that way we could guide our marketing voice from day one. I don't think enough people do that. And their brand voice kind of goes all over the place. It's the founder's voice, it's the company's voice, it's the The customer service person's voice, the marketing team's voice, you got to have a brand identity map from day one to guide that and decide what type of brand voice you're going to have. And then from there, you know, build out the website, wrote copy for a few core pages, FAQs, uh, landing pages to capture emails. And then we started to talk to crowdfunding agencies. And I think that this is something that is really difficult for a lot of people because there's a lot of sharks out there. The sharks are less on the founder side. And more on the agency side, because it is a little bit of the, the wild west with crowdfunding still, even today. And there's tons of agencies that will tell you, yep, we take, you know, X thousand dollars up front to get started, and then we take 30% of sales, whatever it is. What they don't tell you is that if you don't sell or you don't give them the indicators that you're going to sell as much as they think, they'll drop you like a hot, you know, like a, like a hot coal. And so, not only that, but those. Setup fees are oftentimes non-refundable and just a way for them to goose their sales. I mean, there's no setup involved with an agency aside from actual marketing expenditures. So a lot of times I want to be very clear with an agency about you know, what you're going to use our initial setup dollars for. It should be for things like third-party software in order to capture emails, send emails. You want to understand what their setup process actually looks like. What type of what portion of that initial fee is going to be used for advertisements? How they plan to capture emails, and really, this is all revolving around the number one goal of preparation, and that's to gather emails. So the number one rule of thumb is figure out how much you want to raise. Let's say it's hundred thousand dollars. Budget three percent ish conversion on your email list. One percent is really bad. Five percent is really good. So three is something you can tend to really bank on because these are people that have actively given you their emails and that are interested and then work backwards from there. And if your average price on your Indiegogo or your Kickstarter is going to be hundred dollars per backer um, and you want to raise hundred thousand dollars, that means that you need 1000 backers. And generally speaking, you want to gather at least 30% of your total backers in the first 24 to 72 hours of your campaign. And that's almost entirely going to come off your email. So if working backwards from there, I want to make $100,000. That means I want 1,000 backers. That means that I want 300 of those backers, 30%, in the first 24 to 48 to 72 hours. And that means that I need 300 backers from my email list. If my email list converts at a 3% clip, that means that 300 backers is going to be 3% of what? And that's 10,000 emails. So from there, and, and by the way, that math is literally exactly how we set our goal of getting 10,000 emails before we launched. And we actually ended up gathering 11,000 emails in about eight weeks worth of running interest ads on Facebook. And so really, I think to sum it all up, the initial nuts and bolts are goal setting, brand voice setting, getting your initial copy and collateral and landing pages set up, and then starting to run Facebook ad campaigns in targeted demographics to those landing pages. And and a lot of times agencies will have email lists of past campaigns that they can use to build lookalike audiences. And that way you can get people that are early adopters seeing your initial Facebook ads, signing up for that big day one backing event on Indiegogo. And you really want to snowball from there. So day one is, is super paramount.
0: Yeah. So it, that that's actually really interesting. So, you know, as you know, I spend a lot of my time doing Facebook ads and things like that. And I've done some stuff in music where music, it's really all about the launch as well, because once you get that momentum, the algorithm, I guess you will, um, ends up taking over. Right. And so it, it's a similar situation with like a crowdfunding where when the staff of the actual crowdfunding company sees like a rapidly rising project, they want to kind of keep that going. Is that, is that kind of a fair assessment of what's happening or no?
1: I I think so. I think that, um, so one of the things that I learned the hard way is, and this is mostly speculation. I don't have insight into their algorithms, but I think the Kickstarter and Indiegogo actually reward people. And I should say Indiegogo specifically because I, I didn't do a Kickstarter this time around that, um, blow out their goal on day one And it's more about percentage raised than it is dollar amount raised. So, for example, we set a goal of $25,000 publicly. Internally, we wanted to make $100,000, but, you know, 25 was kind of our public-facing goal because we knew how the algorithms worked on Indiegogo. And we didn't think that we'd hit $100,000 on day one, but 25, we were, you know, pretty certain. And we ended up making $44,000 on day one, so almost 200%, which is great looking back, if I had set that initial public goal at $10,000 or $15,000, I would have done three to four and a half X. So I would have been 300 to 450% funded on day one. And we actually probably would have been the number one trending topic on Indiegogo instead of just the number two or number three trending topic. And it's kind of weird because you wouldn't think that they would do it according to funding percentage. You'd think they'd do it according to dollars raised because they make their money as a percentage of dollars raised, not a percentage of, you know, how many multiples of your goal you've made. And so it's kind of weird that they have a setup like that. But but for example, there was another sheet campaign that launched two days before us with a $10,000 goal. And they made $30,000 in their first day. And they were trending ahead of us, even though we had made $44,000 on our first day, because they 3X their public goal instead of us where we just just x our public goal.
0: Now that is interesting. I wonder if they do that just because projects come in so many different sizes, right? Where you have like, you know, somebody that's trying to do an ebook or something like that and they want to try and get parody. Otherwise it would just be video game after video game.
1: <laughs> I yeah, I think that might be true. I think that I think that it's uh there's so many different projects on there that maybe percentage of public goal is the best way to, you know, make it all else equal. But, uh, but yeah, so that's something that people should be, be considerate of is don't sandbag your public goal because if you set your public goal at like 10 grand and you raise 25 grand and that's not enough for you to get to market, your customers won't understand that. They will say, I don't, I don't understand what you're telling me. You didn't raise enough money to go to market because your goal was 10,000 and you blew it out of the water at 25. So you can't sandbag your goal because then you're, really, you're setting yourself up for really high expectations from your customers when you blow it out of the water. But at the same time, people need to understand that how much you trend on the homepage and that sort of thing is going to be based on if you can blow out your goal on day one.
0: Interesting. Okay, so I like that. So because I have heard common advice is like, oh, definitely go under so that you can go over your goal so that it looks like it's super funded. And it sounds like you're saying, you know, be measured
1: if you're going to go that direction. Be measured. Yeah, be be measured because because if you sandbag it and uh, you you do five x a bad goal and you can't deliver or you can't deliver on time or you need more money or whatever it is, right? People people won't get that because they they don't see behind the scenes. And so you can't be dishonest with people. You got to set a goal that's actually you know, ethically something that you know you can deliver on. But at the same time, let's say that I can deliver on 25,000, and I can also deliver on 100,000. I'm going to set my goal at 25,000, because I know the difference between the two in terms of appearance and, and algorithm. But I wouldn't go as low as something like 15 or 10 for S&G, because that, that's not something that we could have delivered on.
0: That's fascinating. So, what what would you say that you know? I guess kind of going along with this, you talked a lot about the things you sort of need to be doing and the kind of agencies that you look for. Uh, just a quick touch on that point. Like you were talking about how a lot of them will ask for an upfront money and then will take a percentage on the back end. And you were talking about the right way to vet that. Would it be fair to kind of characterize that as the right way to vet it is? somebody that's charging the upfront money should really just be to cover cost for the agency and that they make all of their upside on a successful campaign, or I'm just
1: trying to understand. Totally a hundred, a hundred percent. So, so think about it like this. If I engage with an agency with, and I know that I want 10 weeks worth of prep time before launch, and then I know that our campaign is going to be 45 days. So another six weeks. So that's 16, 16 weeks total. We're going to be engaging at least probably a little bit before and a little bit after, so let's call it twenty weeks total, so about five months. if that's the engagement length for your agency, then a standard agency worth their salt is probably going to want to you know charge you something like so they get paid out maybe five thousand dollars a month, so something like twenty five thousand total dollars. So if somebody on the front end is charging you you know let's say two thousand dollars. And your campaign is only projected to make hundred thousand dollars, and let's say they want to charge you you know twenty percent on the back end or whatever it is, that's probably what they'll end up charging you because they're going they're going to look at the hundred thousand dollar potential and say, "All right, that's twenty grand on the back end for twenty percent, two grand on the front end, twenty two thousand dollars, four or five months worth of work that's four or five thousand dollars a month for the agency so that's really that's at the founder, you have to do that math too and understand whether you're overpaying or underpaying. And you also want to do the math from a CPA perspective. So, if I'm going to do hundred dollars as my average backer value, for example, and I want to make a hundred thousand dollars, that's one thousand backers. And I, you know, somebody wants to charge me twenty percent on the back end or ten percent. I can do. I should be able to do that math in my head easily when I'm on the phone with them, and be able to say, okay, well, if I pay them twenty percent of hundred grand, that's twenty thousand dollars. A thousand backers in terms of CPA it's going to be however much i'm paying for facebook ads and google ads and that sort of thing plus 20 grand to this agency as part of my cpa and so how much how much money am i actually going to have left over when it's all said and done per customer and am i running a profitable sustainable company am i going to turn any money around on this or am i going to take a loss and i think a lot i think a lot of people actually end up taking losses on their crowdfunding campaigns because they don't properly calculate how much they're going to end up paying their agency on the back end?
0: I'm really glad you actually brought that up. Um, the way to calculate that, because I see a lot of people just take marketing dollars out and revenue in and calling that ROI, and it's not because there's just so many more factors that go into it. So that that's really fantastic. So if you had any like kind of hacks or like you know like the the biggest tips that you could say, the thing that people mess up the most when it comes to crowdfunding and how to avoid it. Um, and then, you know, kind of what, what you saw the biggest impact from, from your marketing sort of stuff, you know, whether it was Facebook ads or email capture or what have you, um, you know, I think that our listeners would really
1: appreciate
0: that sort of, you know, kind of practical takeaway, if you will.
1: Yeah. Biggest pitfall. And because this is a marketing podcast, I keep the marketing because there's a mess. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, a the lot of pitfalls out. on the logistics and product side. And I can talk about that a little bit if people would be interested in that, but, on the, on the marketing side, I think the biggest pitfall uh, goes back to the preparation. I think a lot of people think that they build this great thing and people are going to love this great thing and then they throw it on Kickstarter, they throw it on Indiegogo with maybe two or three weeks of the preparation. My mom said it was cool, so it should just take off right away. <laughs> that's, that's what, I mean, that's the, when you say I have an idea and people, all your friends and family, they say, oh, what a great idea. They validate your idea. Maybe you do a little customer research, you send some emails out get some feedback from people that you respect, that's all great. But if you throw it on Kickstarter on any given day, you're competing with thousands of other projects on Kickstarter for that real estate. And I've seen people launch and get $20 worth of funding, $50 worth of funding. Like it's, it's, and you don't want to be that guy that's like constantly uh, on your girl on your, on Facebook and, you know, hitting up your friends and family, messaging them, like posting your status every single day, please fund my Kickstarter, please fund my Indiegogo. Like that's that's nonsense. That's not a real business. That's just you asking for donations from your friends and family for your own pocket. So I I think that a lot of people need to put in way more preparation time. Um, I would say at least eight weeks, preferably 10 weeks. The number one thing they need to focus on is email gathering. Those, email ga- those emails that they gather, A, when you blast it out to your email list, let's say you get 10,000 of them in between when you start your prep and when you end your prep. of them should convert within the first 24 to 48 hours, especially if you've kept them updated, you sent them two or three emails in the meantime, getting them hyped, getting them psyched, telling them when the launch is, so on and so forth. And those people are going to be your core, core customers. And you also want to get, you know, 20, 30 family friends ready to go on day one as well. They're going to be, you know, your core sort of first people that are going to get you your first, you know, 20 or 30 orders along with your email list, which will then blow up for the day. Um, But really, in that first hour, that first one to three hours, you want to be on pace to hit your public goal on day one. And the power of preparation, gathering emails is going to be huge. And then also, a lot of people overlook, they can use those emails, not only for that first sort of go out and buy rush. But also that first uh, lookalike audience that they're going to build on Facebook for those people that are interested in the product.
0: Right, absolutely. Those, those are the best way of doing Facebook advertising, hands down. And and just to clarify too, and I know that you wouldn't do this, but just to clarify for the listeners, don't go buy an email list. You have to get no. like people to genuinely opt in. You can't just spam yes. email, you know, a hundred thousand people or something like that. That's not how. It
1: no. Works and one well, and also you're going to have better results if you if you get people to give you your email and you're going to know you know i think it's go back to the the biggest mistake people make it's preparation and it's also validation people don't validate their ideas and and what you should do before you start anything is take 1000 bucks or 500 bucks right something that i think that every person starting a business should at least have in their bank account and if you don't maybe I mean, maybe you can hustle and start a business with $0 of initial capital investment, but I don't, I don't know how reasonable or, or likely that is to succeed. But let's say that you take 500 or or 1000 bucks, right, before you're going to invest 5 or $10,000 in actually building your business. And go ahead and build a landing page. Get a Shopify website, you know, get a, a, a really cheap uh, account for somewhere that you can build a nice, maybe it's $30 a month for something where you can build a really beautiful landing page get email capture set up with mailchimp and it with shopify you spent maybe a hundred bucks by this point in time and then run two or three hundred dollars worth of facebook ads get some clicks get some people landing on that page figure out if they're converting if they're not shut off to spend reconfigure the page you want to have at least you know probably 10 to 12 versions of the page anyways for a b testing when you're sending people to different landing pages with different headers different images different calls to action and then you're going to, within the first $500, you're going to know if you're onto something or not. And if you're converting emails at 1%, you're not onto something. Uh, and, if you, and, and, and then and, and that should tell you that you're either really bad at, at marketing, which is fine. Like there's, I'm, there's people that are terrible at things and people that are great at other things and that you need to revamp your calls to action and your collateral and your, and your, you know, your value prop or it's gonna tell you that the product and the idea isn't something that people have demand for. And people will leave comments on your Facebook ads and they'll give you that qualitative feedback as well as the quantitative feedback that comes from getting those raw numbers on the landing page. But that validation, that first 500 bucks, you gotta see your cost per lead, so how much is costing you per email. Is that going to be within the budget that you have to get to that email number that we talked about earlier is crucial for your success? And if so, great, move forward with the with the larger spend and the larger preparation. And if not, take a step back and be willing to postpone your launch by a month in order to figure things out. Right, absolutely.
0: And, you know, I mean, it, this, what you're give, saying is such practical advice. And I think too, it's important, like if it doesn't work right away and maybe the market is saying no to your product, maybe they're just saying no to this iteration of the product. Because I've met people that took two, three, four times of them iterating over and over on that product in order for it to actually have the value that people, you know, kind of want to see in like, especially when it comes to like physical products and
1: things well, like I'll, that. Well, I'll give you a perfect example of that. I, I initially thought that we were going to launch not only with eucalyptus bed sheets for their sustainability aspects, you know, ninety five percent less water uh, than cotton sheets, up to that, up to thirty percent less energy, no insecticides, no pesticides used in the in the cultivation of eucalyptus trees. I thought those were going to be great value props, but then I also thought that we were going to do, and this is probably me getting ahead of myself, which is something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs do. I thought that we were going to do fun, crazy designs on the bed sheets and that they were going to be kind of like, you know, that nostalgic kid feeling for adults where you're going to have cool designs that were all named after fun sleep idioms, sawing logs and, you know, uh, early bird and night owl and stuff like that. And the market told me, I, I sent out a survey asking if they'd want those patterns, or if they wanted just plain colors. And I think like a thousand people answered the survey. This is when I had an email list that I had been building for a couple weeks. Right. And they were like, no, just solid colors. We don't <laughs> want, <we don't> want. <laughs> like if you can give us the same base sheet material with solid colors that go with my bedroom at like a $10, $20 less price, that's what we want. We, the designs, eh, like, maybe, maybe one day, maybe a Christmas design or something. And that was hard. I mean, I had such a fun, I thought I had a fun Idea that I wanted to do and that I personally would love, but hey, guys don't buy bed sheets. Women do, and women were telling me, "Nope, colors, solid colors are totally fine."
0: Well, um, I'm gonna tell my wife that we are having a race car bed, and well, she's that, just gonna I, have I, to you, deal with that.
1: You're gonna say, "Get out of <laughs> Get out of the house!" Yeah, and I mean, I <laughs> I think uh, a lot of uh, founders also inherently have their own biases from who they are as people, with their their experiences their gender, their age, their, their race. Um, you know, and I think that a lot of the, a lot of times that will uh, cloud your decision-making instead of inform your decision-making. And uh, that was really hard for me, for me to, you know, understand early on that even though I might think something is really funny or really cool or unique, my audience is going to be 80% women and they might think about the brand significantly differently than I do. And, and so I had to revamp how I spoke about the company in some ways it's
0: very true, yeah, as a marketer, you end up talking to a lot of different audiences, and it's your job to kind of go outside of yourself in order to you know try and understand what matters to them, what their pain points are, what they value um and and then move to cater to them so rather than what you might personally
1: believe yeah yes and yes and no i I think that that's- to- that's totally true. I'd also say that a lot of times the brand voice in the early going is the founder's voice. And so while you need to put yourself in the shoes of your core customer, I think a lot of people also uh, don't realize how important their own voice is to the brand. And, and as, at the end of the day, at some point, you're gonna fail or succeed based on your own voice. And people have to be, go into that understanding that that's, it's a really personal thing, whether you succeed or fail. Absolutely, that's fantastic advice. So
0: I've got a couple of questions
1: here. First
0: question, and you've covered some of these to to some extent or another. I've got one here that says, "Would crowdfunding work for local services companies?"
1: Um, no, I don't think I don't think so personally. I think that uh, it depends on if you're launching something new. For example, if you were a local services company that thought that you had a new version of something, and I'm, I'm struggling to come up with a perfect and particular service, which is why my initial inclination is that it might not work. You could hyper-target on face. The one reason it could work is because you could hyper-target people in your area with Facebook ads and with retargeting ads and other things like that, where you know, and amazing copy, right? Because you can say, hey, you live in Plantation, Florida, which is where I'm from originally, and you need these services for your home and we can we have an incredible new way of doing it and we're launching it in two months and we want you to be a part of it i think um i think it'd be interesting but i don't i think at the end of the day people need a service they need it now and not a month in advance and i think that also the benefit of the crowdfunding platform is that it's national and international and so it does bode well for products that are more generalized and that have a wider audience than a local audience. Because if you're just gonna target a local audience, the snowball effect of appearing like on the homepage of Kickstarter or Indiegogo, it doesn't do you as much good because you're, you're gonna have extremely low conversion from that wider audience. I
0: think that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Okay, next question here I'm seeing is, is there any offline kinds of advertising that you think would be effective for a crowdfunding campaign?
1: Uh yeah, I do actually. And I think that um I think that a, a lot of people, this is where we go back to the brand identity map in the beginning, is like when you're naming your company, it's also really important. We chose Sheets and Giggles A because it's funny and it made us laugh. But like B because uh I thought it was extremely memorable, great SEO around it, and we could do physical and podcast advertising where people see or just hear the name. And then they can go Google it, and we're going to be the first result. Or they can go on Amazon, we're going to be the first result. And they don't necessarily need to remember a URL. I think a lot of companies, they choose names. This is kind of weird. It's a little counterintuitive. They choose names based on the URLs that they can get, when in reality, I think you should choose a name that's going to be very core to your marketing plan and to your brand plan. And then get whatever URL you want. Just make sure you're the first result for that name when people Google it, because people are going to Google you before they go to a URL. And that really powerful, memorable name when it comes to offline advertising and visual advertising, um, whether it's an on-campus program with student ambassadors or it's a, you know, it's a radio campaign or whatever it is, I think those offline campaigns have way more impact uh, if you have a memorable name. We're actually looking at direct mail right now. Um, although that probably wouldn't be great for crowdfunding because you got to time that perfectly, but uh, you know, I think that a few different options for crowdfunding that would be interesting would be something like physical advertising. One of the things that we did was we we had hair bands that had the the brand name on it, Sheets and Giggles, and we put those in gyms all across Denver because women forget their hair ties all the time when they're going to to work out and do yoga classes and stuff, and it's just free free brand name. And then you know, on the front of the bowl, it said search for us on Google and the Indiegogo and our website were like the first things that popped up. That's
0: that's amazing. That's super, super
1: smart and like pretty low dollar amount too. It seems. Oh like. yeah. And the hair bands are like, you know, less than a dollar a piece, way less than that. So. Right. That's amazing. So
0: um, another question here, I run a pretty successful YouTube channel. I'm lucky I've had some videos and it went viral. How do I take and basically channel this towards, A crowdfunding campaign
1: well so this person says they run a successful youtube channel or they've just had some viral videos yeah
0: they had a couple of videos that went viral on their youtube channel um so in so far as i understand reading this they have a hobby youtube channel that they had some videos go viral they got a big like kind of following and they're wondering how to take that specifically with youtube i guess uh, to take that and kind of move that audience into a crowdfunding campaign i mean outside of just the obvious, which is, you know, make a YouTube video. about
1: it. Well, I, I, well if, I, if I'm being honest, I think this person's in a fantastic position to run a crowdfunding campaign. Like if I had a YouTube channel with for a hobby, right, I've got a targeted audience. And then I take that hobby, whatever it is, I build a product specifically for people in that target demographic. Maybe I solve a pain point that's common amongst people. Maybe I even source the idea to my audience. And I say, what is, what is your biggest pain point? What is your biggest problem with this hobby? What could somebody build that would solve that problem? And then get feedback from the community. So, so let me get a little higher level instead of I'm getting really excited about this and I'm diving too deeply into it. I'd, I'd use, because it's cool. I mean, this person's got a great opportunity in front of them. I'd use the subscribers I had to source problems and ideas with surveys and feedback and comments and that sort of thing. Then I would use that audience to then introduce the prototype to them in a video that I would shoot for that audience. I'd pair that video with a sign-up list for people who want to be notified when it's available for purchase. And that would be my kind of my initial test as to do we have a business on our hands here or do we just have something that people aren't willing to pay for? So I'd use it for feedback, ideas, problem solving, and then validation of the idea an introduction of the prototype, and then I'd use it to launch the actual campaign itself when it was time for the campaign. And I think the fact that it's a targeted niche audience, is it bodes extremely well for this person.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I actually, just while we were talking, I uh, looked up their channel, and it looks like their last video had 1.7 million views, so
1: they've got quite, a, quite an audience. they have, audience they have they make... a lot of subscribers? Because that person... Yeah looks like about 10,000 subscribers. So. I mean, that's great. That's basically a, an email list, right? I mean, it's going right. to, those, those people are going to just to let that person know those people are going to convert at a lower clip than an email list because YouTube isn't really a, at least as far as I know, little harder to, to have a call to action. That's a a monetizable call to action YouTube video. But I mean, yeah, like a, like an unboxing video for a prototype right at launch with that audience if you engage them and gotten them excited about solving a problem for them oh my god and then asking them to share that video and and i mean yeah you, that person's in great shape
0: i think that makes a ton of sense and i would actually add on even on top of that i would say why not do like a making of video let people see behind the scenes do like a whole series of videos
1: oh oh for sure i mean there, there's so much you can do in between asking for feedback and then and then showing the prototype and launching the actual crowdfund. And I think every step of the way of building the product, I mean, they should be shooting video nonstop, right? And I think a, a weekly video of building a thing and then prepping the crowdfund launch would be extremely interesting to that audience and also get them to convert at a higher percentage because they're going to be more excited about the eventual launch.
0: Absolutely, cool. Um, so last question here. Do you have any specific advice around using AdWords um, to promote a crowdfunding campaign?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, and we learned this, I think, not the hard way, but the medium way. Um, and that's like, don't don't waste your money on like general keywords for your category unless it's an extremely niche, underserved category that you know has. But,
0: but my product is fun. Why wouldn't I target fun? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, so you know, that's. I think a lot of people they think, like. For me, for example, our our bed sheets are technically uh, the material is called lyocell. Is the like the technical name for it? Eucalyptus lyocell, and there's like a thousand people a month or or whatever it is that search for eucalyptus lyocell bed sheets, and that's a really niche search. And so we can advertise against that, but we're not the only ones advertising against that because of the phrase sheets and bed sheets in that query. Right. And so like there there are companies with way more dollars in their pocket that are driving up those CPCs for what I think should be super targeted keywords, but that are, are being more generalized by other companies. And so I would suggest using AdWords only for brand name searches because people will hear about you via word of mouth and other things like that. They'll see your name, they'll get an email, they'll forget about it. And then maybe when you launch, they'll Google you. So I think that for brand name searches, 100%. Use use AdWords. You can point directly to the Indiegogo, or you can point to your website and then uh, have a landing page that then drives people to the to the Indiegogo or the Kickstarter page. But outside of that, I wouldn't spend too much money on AdWords because you're gonna you're gonna blow through a lot of cash without a lot of conversion. Um, but those brand name searches usually have really high conversion.
0: Fantastic. Well, Colin, thank you so much for all this incredible insight. This is so much value. I think that if anybody's even beginning to think about doing a crowdfunding campaign they definitely need to listen to all the advice and and ignore it at their own peril colin is there anything that you want to pitch here at the end of it any anything you want to talk about outside the uh you know or or even the obvious right (laughs) Um,
1: well i think there's two there's two things i'd want to pitch one is and i'll do one one selfish and one one i'll you know out for somebody else well, there's three things. So we'll do pure, pure altruism. Pure altruism first. One is that, like, please donate your bed sheets to homeless shelters when you're done with them. Don't throw them away. Uh, sheets are the number two most requested items at at homeless shelters. A lot, uh, socks are number one. If you have socks that you want to donate to, and a lot. of, You know, ten million tons of textiles get thrown away in the U.S. every single year, and bed sheets are a big part of that. So blankets, bed sheets, comforters. Bring them to your local homeless shelter. Uh, bring them to Goodwill. Don't, uh, don't throw them away, especially microfiber bed sheets, which never, never bi- biodegrade, which is a whole other thing. That's really annoying. Um, the number two thing I'd pitch is my agency that I'm using right now. He doesn't know that I'm bringing him up, so I hope it's okay. But there's a lot of sharks when it comes to crowdfunding out there, and I'd, I'd highly recommend smaller shops that will focus on you as their core client in that any given month, you know, two or three month time period. Um, and my agency is called Russell Marketing. It's russellmarketing.co. Will Russell is the head of that agency. Big fan of this guy. He knows his stuff. He's honest. He's on the up and up. And he'll tell you quickly by doing the research before he ever charges you a single dollar whether or not he thinks you got a good idea on your hands or not. He's told some people that I've introduced him to, you don't have a good idea in your hands, <laughs> which I think is that's valuable the, in and of itself. That's the kind of um, harsh love that your mom won't give well, you that he, you he's He's British, so he's very polite. So, so okay. Will, Russell, He's not going to be mean, but he'll, he'll tell it like it is. Uh, so Russell Marketing, big shout out to Will and his team. Um, You'll feel devastated with a smile on your face. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he, again, Brit- British guy, super nice, super polite, but uh, he won't cool. shoot. Or we'll, we'll link to them in the description. Yeah, yeah. I lo- anyway, just wanted to give – because a lot of people, when I say look out for sharks, they ask me, do you have a recommendation for an agency? And, and I always send them Will's way. And the third third thing is I'll just pitch sheets and giggles uh, for anybody still listening uh, after that long-winded uh, intro. Uh, we, we make and sell eucalyptus bed sheets. If you've never heard of eucalyptus bed sheets, don't feel bad. Nobody has. They are softer than cotton. Naturally, as a fiber, they have a, literally a lower surface friction. They're more breathable than cotton, uh, which for me as a hot sleeper is a godsend. Um, and they're also more durable. They're more resistant to rips and tears, and they'll hold their, they'll hold their color better and longer. On top of all that, they're also very sustainable, using about 95% less water than cotton sheets on average, and about 30% less energy and no insecticides or pesticides. And uh, we also have a, a donation program ourselves called Give Two Sheets, a lot of pun-based <laughs> stuff that we do, um, where we'll donate your old sheets for you to homeless shelters, and we include a return mailer for donations in every package. That's so, an incredible initiative. Yeah, so it's Sheets and Giggles, Google us. Uh, you know, If you wanna want some new bed sheets in your life, we're shipping our pre-orders this month and uh we're still 10 percent off right now for the month of september for any pre-orders on our website sheetsgiggles.com or just google sheets and giggles
0: excellent well colin thank you so much again really appreciate your time and uh to all you listening out there hopefully you got an incredible amount of value out of this very smart man who's run a number of successful crowdfunding campaigns go out listen to his advice go out there start preparing give yourself at least eight weeks and uh happy marketing everybody